Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. You mentioned your faith. I know you're Catholic. I know that your faith is extremely important to you. You have uh, yes. not been shy about talking about that. When you're in that moment, when you were hit, I can't imagine, A, what that's like, but how did you get through it? Were you talking to God? Were you praying the whole time? Ainsley, I didn't stop talking to God. Um, from the moment of impact, um, very loudly. Uh, I was not quiet. Um, I, I bless and, and thank you to all the first responders and the, the people that were on site. A beautiful woman who goes to a church that I visited, uh, Miss Diane, the seconds after impact it seemed, was handing me her phone and I couldn't breathe because my lung had been punctured by my ribs and I couldn't catch my breath, but I gave her my husband's cell phone number. Mm -hmm. uh, she called him from the site. Um, and it was from that point on, I mean, I knew that I had severed my my stomach, basically the seatbelt, the airbag saved our lives. And if you don't believe in God, mm -hmm. look at this face. I mean, other than the bruise on my lip, um, Jackie and I have no facial trauma, no neurological damage. If you don't understand, that was God's good embrace holding me. And Jackie, uh, you, you just you need to believe. Um, but all the way in the, the EMS drivers and the paramedics, um, I was talking to God the entire way. I never lost consciousness uh, through the entire event, which is insane. When the sheriff came to uh, do my statement and interview, mm -hmm. I remembered every detail. It's yeah. indelible in my, in my mind. And wow. it's, it's just something that I, I thank God for because I'm thankful to every face that helped me and every soul that worked you know, as such an, an amazing team to save my life. Yeah. I, I'm just so in debt and in, debt in gratitude. God always has a plan. He has big plans for you. You have yes. three children and three grandchildren, and you need to be around. To and watch another them one grow on up. the way. Congratulations. That's yeah. great. Thanks for being here today. Welcome to the show. It's Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And we are just, it's, it's Friday, y'all. It's Friday, Friday. Getting ready to go into the weekend. We have so much for you today on, on the last show of the week, uh, heading into the weekend, where I hope you'll uh, unplug, rest, relax, spend time with family, do whatever you like to do on the weekend, and hopefully including ending off with Sunday in church, getting in the pew, um, you know, refreshing, starting off for next week. Today on the program, we're going to be speaking with Joel Gilbert. He's a Hollywood film director and foreign policy analyst. He's going to come on and talk with us in hour two. Here in hour one, we have a lot of content because we had some breaking news today. Uh, Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein shared with us that there are more indictments. No Americans, nobody in the Trump administration. Uh, but yeah, more indictments for the meddling in the election in 2016. So we'll get into a little bit of that. We're going to talk about uh, President Trump's whirlwind European tour that he's on. He's now in Great Britain, and he's been mixing it up with Jim Acosta from CNN. Uh, you know, always good clips out of that one. And uh, so we're going to talk about that as well. Um, check us out at StacyOnTheRight.com, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and AFR.net. You'll love the content at all three of those sites. Hit the subscribe button and, and stick with us there. Um, and we also want you to subscribe on YouTube and uh, Facebook, Periscope. Yeah, hit the, hit the like button, hit the heart buttons, uh, and, and share the show everywhere that you might be tuning in today. So you were just listening to Katie Arrington, who was seriously injured in a major car accident a few weeks ago. She was on Fox News and just 
really, I thought her testimony was beautiful because she talked about how she prayed all the way through. She was awake and lucid throughout, even though she'd broken two of her ribs and punctured her lung. One of her ribs actually went through her lung. And she also had a severe stomach injury. She fractured both of her feet. And the lady who actually caused the accident, who was drunk driving, was actually killed in the accident. And Katie even asked for prayer for her and her family as as the family goes through the loss. Apparently, she was a mom, married. Um, so they've lost this this member of their family as well as the injuries that she sustained. And Katie Arrington is, uh, you know, she's a Christian. She's Catholic. And she's really coming out swinging here. Um, she's a South Carolina state rep. She's also a congressional hopeful. She's running for Congress. And it's just been a real, like a, a crazy story right after she wins this uh, primary, then she has this accident. And so listening to her talk about her faith and how she talked to God the whole way through and, and how grateful she is instead of focusing on the fact that she's, you know, temporarily in a wheelchair right now and she has quite a recovery ahead of her. She shows back up on Fox news uh, to sing the praises of the glory of God and how grateful she is that he took care of her in this moment. And I wanted to, as we start off this Friday afternoon show, just give some relevant scriptures that go along with this, because sometimes we forget, you know, we pray on your way out, pray when you start the car up, just say a quick prayer for safety and thank God for the opportunity to go out and travel. And remember that he has many, many times spoken to us through his word about safety and about him being our protector. And so um, I, I love these scriptures because when we root ourselves in scripture and we take the time to read God's word and to really focus ourselves in on that, it, it lifts us up, it makes us wise. And these scriptures come back to us when we're in these moments, such as, as Katie was. God never promised us that we wouldn't have any accidents or would, nothing would ever happen to us physically in this world. You know, we're subject to what goes on here. But he did promise never to leave and forsake us. Uh, so one of my favorites is Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. And that's Psalm 91, 9 through 10. And I just want you guys to remember that. And we can take comfort in these scriptures Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. So let's go with that. Now, let's get to the breaking news. Uh, the breaking news today, which it was interesting because instead of them saying exactly what the press conference is going to be about, they just had a general tweet go out saying there's going to be a um, press availability, a, a, a law enforcement announcement from Attorney General <laughs> <laughs> assistant Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. And so that's what happened. He steps up to the podium. Everyone's gathered in the White House uh, briefing room. Not, I, I, If I'm not mistaken, it's not the same one that Sarah Sanders is in every day. It might have been an alternative location, maybe the executive uh, Eisenhower Executive Office Complex. Not sure. It looked like a different room. And so he steps up to the podium and he starts to share. I mean, he just launched right into it. No preamble whatsoever. And the surprise Russian indictments, indictments announcement basically boils down to a few key salient points. And those are that there is no allegation in this indictment that Americans knew they were corresponding with Russians. So this isn't about any Americans at this point, not the announcement that was made today. Now, does this mean there won't be indictments of Americans or that they're not working on something more? 
Obviously not. We don't know what else they're working on. We don't know what other announcements they plan to make, if there are any other indictments forthcoming. We just know what he shared with us today. There is no allegation that there were corresponding with Russians, these Americans who did so, that they knew that they were corresponding with Russians. There's no allegation in the indictment that any American citizen committed a crime. There is no allegation that the conspiracy changed the vote count or affected any election result. And today's charges include no allegations of knowing involvement by anyone on the campaign, no allegations that the alleged hacking affected the election result. And this is consistent with what we have been saying all along. So they're placing the blame squarely on the shoulders of Russians Russian agents, Russian operatives, members of the Russian government who were either in the United States at one point or were not, but all engaged in activities involving hacking into spear phishing attempts, getting into the the uh, DCCC email accounts, the Democratic National Committee, all of their uh, all of the stories that were eventually let out, the emails that went to WikiLeaks, et cetera. All of that is a part of this. And, and so, you know, what's interesting about this is the timing. Now, clearly, it could have been that, and he did talk a little bit about that. He had a lengthy time before the podium, and he spent it talking the whole time. It was fascinating to watch because he really just expounded on everything that was going on um, up to this point. He explained it all. He talked a little bit about, A.G. Rod Rosenstein talked a little bit about the uh, – so they have the, the process of getting the indictment. So it, they had to seek out the indictment, obviously, and had to go before a grand jury. And then they returned the indictment, which then they were able to share. So apparently, uh, according to him, the preponderance of evidence provided uh, gave the grand jury cause to issue an indictment for these Russians. Now it remains to be seen what the Russians will do in response. And it's interesting, again, the timing, because the president's next stop after he leaves Great Britain, I believe he's going to uh, his golf course in Scotland, according to the press information that I've received from the White House. He'll be in Scotland at Trump International Doral. Um, It's a golf course in Scotland, a beautiful facility that they own there. And then I believe after that is when he will then travel to meet with uh, President Putin. Um, so it's it's an interesting time for them to make the announcement about the indictment against the Russians w- right just before he plans to actually meet with President Putin for them to have a meeting and, and a discussion. Now, at numerous points over the European visit to NATO and since he's been in Great Britain, ha- the president has discussed at length whenever he's asked that he plans to broach the subject of the election meddling with President Putin. He also has said he expects that Putin will deny it, that he will say that this didn't happen. So the issue is, for us as Americans, we know that we've meddled in elections for people, uh, other countries. In fact, Barack Obama specifically meddled in the elections in, um, in Israel. And we have done this before in other nation states. So... I'm not saying that like, well, they did it, we did it, it makes it all okay. But this is something that countries do. They try to seek out an election result that'll be favorable to their foreign policy aims. And not all countries do it. We don't do it in every election in every country around the world. But clearly, we exercise this purview, if you will, 
when we feel it's necessary. Uh, it remains to be seen if, because I, I, I honestly don't think the American people have an opinion on it. Now that it's happened here in our country and it's been something obvious that the Democrats try to use to capitalize on the fact that they ran a really bad candidate, it, th- this is where the rubber meets the road, where will Americans now say we shouldn't do that? We shouldn't engage in meddling in the elections of other countries. Of course, you know, we, we're nation builders. We're all over the place with our troops and our bases. And really, uh, you know, our foreign policy is, is not just a matter of us participating. It's a lot of directing and behind the scenes stuff. And so will Americans begin to formulate a kind of resistance or opposition towards us meddling in the elections of other countries? Will Americans see our meddling in other countries in the same way that we seem to oppose other countries meddling in our elections? Um, it's interesting the the reaction that's been had. And I'm not going to pretend like we as Americans don't hold two separate minds on these types of things where we're perfectly fine doing things in other countries, but we would never accept those countries doing those things in our country. That's something that has been a part of the American ethos since pretty much day one. But what happens now? Now that this indictment has been leveled, now that the president's going to meet with Putin after the leveling of this indictment against the Russians and the conversations that they're undoubtedly going to have to have surrounding this indictment, the announcement being made publicly uh, just right before he's supposed to see him, uh, Trump is supposed to see Putin. Well, what exactly will Putin make of it? What will be his public response to it? Obviously, they have to have some kind of reaction to it. Um, They have thus far just simply engaged in flat out denials. We just don't have we don't know what you're talking about. We didn't do this. It's not us. We're not the ones who are guilty of this. Um, But now that there's an indictment, that means that there'll be some evidence forthcoming. The people who have been indicted will have the ability to review the evidence. They'll be able to see what it is that was able to get the indictment against them. Um, So that will be interesting. It also comes at an interesting time with Peter Strzok being, you know, the past couple of days has just been all about Peter Strzok. And of course, Lisa Page, I'm assuming since it's the afternoon, hey, you know, hi, we're live on the radio. We're not seeing Lisa Page. uh, We didn't see her at Capitol Hill this morning. That would have been at the top of Drudge had she showed up at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So we know she didn't appear for her subpoena. So there'll be contempt of charges, contempt of Congress charges for her. So the stories are competing. They're both interesting and they're both relevant to us right now. Uh, It's time to get this stuff wrapped up. I'm glad to see something handed out so we can get to the, the end. Uh, what we're going to do now is uh, head into the break. When we get back, we'll be talking about Air Force One. You know, the president has ordered a new replacement Air Force One for a little over $4 billion after negotiations. What color will it be? Liberals are angry because the president might not go with the standard blue and white. Yes, this is a thing. <laughs> All right, head over to StacyOnTheRight.com, Twitter at StacyOnTheRight. Uh, and also, don't forget to subscribe. All right, we'll be back with more right after these important messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, I'm reading through the Old Testament now, and I'm coming to places that are named that I see on our Israel tour every March. It's really fascinating to think that Jericho existed way back in the Old Testament thousands of years ago, and I can visit there today. The same can be said for Jerusalem. 
The Bible literally comes to life when you visit Israel, the Holy Land. Now, we're going in March. My wife, Allison, and I, we lead these tours every March. So if you would like to go with us, you need to go to the website and check it out. It's twholyland.com, twholyland.com. If you want a brochure sent to your mailbox, just call us at 800-FAMILIES, option 5. That's 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and we'll send you a brochure. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Like you, I sometimes get bored with routine. I, I like variety. It causes me to step up and focus. Challenges and new experiences more often than not force me to grow. They call me to a new, deeper level of commitment. Too many Christians have settled for a nice, comfortable, predictable Christianity. But God is looking for uncommon, extraordinary commitment. That's why I'm drawn to 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 25. Listen to these words. It's really the eulogy of Josiah. And before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. That's amazing to have God say that about a man. There was no one like him, no one. He was a man of courage and obedience. He lived a distinct God-honoring life. The expression, he turned to the Lord, means he gave his life back to him. His life wrote his obituary. I wonder what kind of obituary are you writing through your life? What is your life saying right now? Do you have an uncommon commitment? Is there distinctiveness with your walk and relationship with God? Are you reflecting that commitment to him? Or are you just mirroring the culture and environment and the status quo? God has called us to make a difference and to be different. Now, here's what I want you to remember today. Christianity is not just a way of life. Our relationship with Christ is a call to an uncommon commitment. Break out of the mold and lay it all on the line. That's exactly what God is calling each of us to do and to be. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. There is perhaps no more impressive or majestic symbol of the American presidency than Air Force One. President Trump believes the next generation of the aircraft needs some changes, including a new color scheme. Here's Chris Van Cleef. The blue and white 747, known to most as Air Force One, owes its iconic look to President John F. Kennedy and his wife Jackie. So Kennedy wanted an airplane that built the brand of the presidency. It's all part of this whole pattern of him trying to create, increase the visibility of the presidency as an active office and as a glamorous office, which he succeeded in doing. Ken Walsh wrote Air Force One, a history of the presidents and their planes. President Trump is perfectly willing to upend a lot of the norms of Washington and the conventions of Washington, and it appears that includes Air Force One. Shortly after taking office, Mr. Trump took the unusual step of personally negotiating with Boeing for two brand new 747s. Well, the plane is totally out of control. It's going to be over $4 billion. It's for Air Force One program. They'll be delivered sometime after 2020, but may drop the iconic look for a new Trump-inspired red, white, and blue design. <laughs> okay, so so this is an actual news report about 
the possibility that Donald Trump might actually change the color of Air Force One. Yeah, it's so scary. Like everyone's just, no, he's, he shouldn't be allowed. He's not allowed to do it. Now, when Kennedy did it, it was, oh, you know, Camelot and all this stuff. And then no one else was allowed to change it because Kennedy was assassinated. And now you've got Donald Trump who's like, I think we could do better. Red, white, and blue sounds good to me. And everyone's like, no, I'm, I'm just waiting on people to say how uh, red, white, and blue is so racist or something weird like that. So I wanted to give you guys some interesting facts about Air Force One. And you guys know I'm a, I'm a White House buff. I've I been to the White House, well, I think 10 times now. Been on the special agent, so FBI agent White House tour with the extra hallways and stuff been on that tour six times. And so I, I know all the facts and the stats about the White House. I know all, all kinds of interesting, cool things about it. Air Force One, that's another story. Um, I've only seen it from a tarmac. Never touched it, never been on it. Now, I know I have two friends who've been on it, but that's about as close as I get. So I have to satisfy myself with, you know, these when, when it becomes a news thing, kind of buffing up on it and, you know, dreaming of the beautiful dream of me one day walking around Air Force One and maybe even being on it when it takes off. Who knows? It could happen. So what do we know about this plane? Well, first of all, some interesting things about it. And, and there's a little bit more audio about the history of the Air Force One paint job. But let me give you a few facts before we get into that. There's a mini hospital on the plane. There are three levels and 4,000 square feet. The mini hospital comes equipped with, obviously, a doctor and all of the equipment needed to do full surgery and everything else. It's sometimes accompanied by a 747 doomsday plane. The E-4B is the military code name for the doomsday plane that's constantly on alert. It can stay in the air for days and outpace the explosion of a nuclear bomb. Uh, Air Force One can go 650 miles an hour, but that's hotly disputed. Some people say it can go 700 miles per hour, which is just a hair below supersonic. Yeah, (laughs) that's something because Air Force One is quite large. It can refuel in the air. That's not actually that, you know, like you would expect it to be able to be air refuelable. Um, That's been going on for decades now. It can survive the blast of a nuke. Uh, It is not a bad place to be if a nuclear bomb explodes because the plane's actual body is designed and secured to withstand the blast of a nuke from the ground, rendering the aircraft a bomb shelter in the sky. And then with two kitchens on board, up to 100 people can be fed from Air Force One at any given time. So it's not that tiny kitchen. It's like a real serious kitchen. There are 85 phones on board. um, And... It's also somewhat of a spy plane as well. It's a mobile command center during terrorist attacks. And um, it just it's really just an amazing feat of, of uh, you know, ingenuity and, and mechanical prowess on behalf of the people who constantly update it and design it and, and are working on the newest version. So what is that newest version about and why are people so upset about this proposed change in the paint job? We're not talking about calling it something different. We're not talking about putting Trump on the side of it. We're just talking about changing the colors of the plane. Uh, It's number eight. Mr. Trump would not be the first commander in chief to make changes to a presidential aircraft. Harry Truman left behind Roosevelt's nondescript sacred cow for the eye-catching independence painted as an eagle. President Eisenhower got the first jet going with a standard military paint job. But every president since Kennedy has stayed with the look he created. 
It's just a concern that President Trump, the showman, is going to go too far with changing the look of this iconic plane that so many people are familiar with. And a lot of people wonder, why do it? Another of the reported changes President Trump is considering a bigger, better presidential bed on board the new plane. The current bed has been compared to something like a futon. Okay. And remember, one of the things Donald Trump is into is luxury and comfort. So it would be pretty obvious with them ordering a new Air Force One that the new Air Force One would have updated amenities such as the bed, et cetera, et cetera. And for $4 billion, come on, wouldn't it? Like, how could it not have a better bed than something that would be compared to a futon? If you stay in hotels, you know you know what that is. Those fold-out beds with the futon-level mattress instead of having a nice, uh, nice, you know, upgraded mattress in the couch. That is so uncool. So uncool. So there's, there's that. But there's a few more facts, a few more interesting things. Like I was just discussing that the kitchen feeds 100. It does, but they don't actually have room for comfortably seating 100 people. Air Force One actually has room for 26 crew members and 70 passengers. So just shy of 100 people can be on board seated uh, and, and strapped in. You've got assigned seating on Air Force One. Every White House administration has its own rules about who can sit where. Seating is always assigned on Air Force One. Nearly half the seats are reserved for the press pool and Secret Service agents. Over $660 million was spent on the initial production costs, and building Air Force One was outrageously expensive. The Flying White House cost $660 million, and the Air Force helped pay down the bill in $140 million a-pop payments. So George Bush was the one who approved the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, and he did so during a flight on Air Force One. This was a flight that he was taking to Berlin, and he approved the details of the proposal that created the Department of Homeland Security, which was at that time a brand new department of the United States government that still exists to this day. Clinton used to blast jazz music on board when he was president. And the plane itself, get this, costs a whopping $56,000 every hour to operate. So uh, that's, that's pretty impressive, $56,000. Its range is limitless. Part of the benefits of aerial refueling is that Air Force One has the capacity to go anywhere, having an unlimited range. And it makes it unique and uh, keeps it as the mobile command center for uh, the commander in chief of the United States. Almost 240 miles of wire run throughout the plane. It has more electronics than your local Best Buy. Uh, Nearly 240 miles of wire running through the plane responsible for the phone screens and communication devices that make Air Force One so intricate and powerful. I mentioned there's always a doctor on board. And Bush Sr., the first Bush presidency, during that time, broccoli was not permitted to be on board of Air Force One. It wasn't allowed to be in the kitchen. It wasn't allowed to be served. And uh, journalists used to watch Fargo on board. Bill Clinton used to get his hair cut on board. And those are just some really fun facts about it. I think when the president talks about changing the color scheme from the kind of muted sky blue and white to a red, white, and blue aspect, he's going along with his America first populist type of policy that he's been pushing ever since he became the president. And it's just not that surprising to me that he would want to do that. Um, I also think, you know, 
you there are some perks and privileges that come along with being the president of the United States. And if the tables were turned and President Trump was the outgoing president in 2016 and 2017 saw Barack Obama be inaugurated, don't you think the re- reaction to all of these changes would be completely different? Um, everyone thought it was so cool when Michelle and Barack Obama redecorated the private residence at the White House. And then they had the redecorated residence with the new sofas and all of that. He ordered a new carpet for the Oval Office. He ordered those gold curtains. He had the new couches brought in. And that was a part of him coming in and kind of making it his own. And no one said a peep about how, oh, this is so horrible. He's going against tradition with those gold curtains. No, he's so chic. He's so international. That's what people said. If he was the president right now and he was the one changing the color scheme of Air Force One, Republicans would be a little miffed about it, probably wouldn't care. And Democrats would be saying this is a historic moment. You know, a Democrat president is yet again the one to choose the color scheme for Air Force One. He's ordering a new plane, yada, 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 yada. Right. I mean, I just can't imagine uh, them doing anything differently. I can't imagine them getting this upset over a Democrat making this decision. And what's funny is anyone who wanted to do this, like any president before this that wanted to make the change could have Clinton, Bush, the other Bush, any one of them, President Obama, any one of them could have ordered a new paint job on Air Force One and there wouldn't have been anyone who could have stopped it. It's, you don't need an act of Congress. You don't need permission. It's a part of the executive that they get to decide what they're doing with the plane. So there's a little bit more detail about the actual deal for the new plane. They're ordering it, of course, from Boeing Corporation. And they're paying $3.9 billion for two customized 747s. And that is less than the initial cost that was uh, touted by Boeing. He actually negotiated them down a little bit. Uh, they were actually demanding more, well over $4 billion. And uh, President Trump said he might cancel the order. And they came to the table and, and got a little bit better of a deal. And it's a 747-8 model. The two new planes will be capable of flying 1,000 miles farther than the existing version they will also produce less carbon pollution, and um, it's it's the the reason that they're doing this now that they're ordering a new plane now is because the new the two new planes will be a version of the seven forty seven that are more fuel efficient two engine models. Air Force specs require the redundancy of four engines for the presidential aircraft. And so, you know, it's, it's, ah, actually, let me update that. More than $1.4 billion was negotiated off of the cost, which is pretty fantastic. Um, and the delivery date kind of depends on how much testing the Air Force wants to do. The plan was to have the planes ready by 2024 when both of the current Air Force One models will be more than 30 years old. So um, I think it's worth us knowing these details, especially on a Friday afternoon in the summertime where we can uh, kind of get these facts in. I'm interested in it mainly because it's a, it, it, this is where the president would be if anything horrible were to occur. And we would want him to be able to continue our government in the case of any emergency. Uh, we would want our leadership to be protected and to be able to carry on. But it's also interesting just because of the technological marvels that are available to us right now uh, and that. The first plane lasted for 30 years. So this plane that'll be delivered in 2024 
um, it, it's it's going to that's 30 years that's going to outlast the lifetimes of all of the current leadership in Washington, D.C. that's on the older side. And we'll be looking at whatever the new version is, whatever the new paint job is. We'll be looking at that for 30 years. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with and what they decide to do. Um, I think it's important for us to kind of pay attention to that because it's a little bit more of a fun topic instead of always having things that are kind of negative. Um, So let's get into a few more details about the hacking of the DNC and the 12 Russians who are accused of the malfeasance. So you have these 12 Russian military intelligence officers who hacked into the Clinton presidential campaign and the Democratic Party, and they released the tens of thousands of stolen communications, and this was an attempt to meddle in the election. Now, remember, we have this straight out of Putin's own mouth that he was definitely only wanting to negatively impact the election and to drive a wedge between American voters. He was very effective in doing that. He didn't care if it was Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump because both of them represent a strong America in different ways, admittedly. But we don't have anyone who's up for election that Putin would like because all of our elected officials are going to want to do things that make America economically powerful because they have to answer to the American people. So there aren't any candidates that we would have in our country that Putin would be like, okay, that's our guy. So he was not so much interested in if it's Trump or or Clinton. It was more about him making Americans mistrust each other and causing our electoral process to be as fraught and, and negative and really just horrifying. And it was. It really was. It was very divisive. It was very much a case of us having um, just we, we just Americans no longer trust each other when it comes to politics. Anyone who's not the same political bent as yourself, you see it, it in the actions of the elected officials telling people when you see these people out in public, you don't treat them correctly. You see it in the actions of the, the text messages of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. He was in Southern Virginia and he could smell the Trump support. He never really did. Um, he never really did explain that to my satisfaction. I, I don't I don't I don't know anybody who heard what he said, who said, mm, you know what? That was I, I get it. We get it. But it's not that we get it the way he wants. He, he tried to smooth it over. He tried to paper over it and it just didn't work. Yeah, it just didn't work. So um, when we get back, we're going to talk about Scarlett Johansson. And this trans movie that she was starring in and all of the fallout about that. I'm going to tell you how the Democrats never let you have anything. Even if you're on their side, they'll eat you alive in a minute because it's not about anything. Nothing. There, there is no standard. Everything can change. It's all about feelings and making sure that you toe the line. All right. StacyOnTheRight.com is a website. We'll be right back. Dear 
Dear Sister in the Lord, who is a writer for the AFA Journal, wrote an astonishing article about idols. In this article, she attests to the fact that if we are truly honest with ourselves, we will find things or people whom are more important in our lives than our relationship with God. Let's just say when I read this, I did my own soul searching and found a few. There are several passages in God's word where he tells us to not idolize things or people. Even the very first two commandments warns us about idolatry. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, John tells us to keep ourselves from idols. Idolatry is sin, and it could be your career, your marriage, your car, including yourself. John Piper says it best. Sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. How do you get satisfied and excited about God? Refresh your memory of what the Savior of the world did on the cross and ask the Lord to help you make Him number one in your life. With a heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Family is an institution set forth by God. One man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com Abraham Hamilton III God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Netflix continues to ignore the outcry about 13 Reasons Why. The American Family Association, along with Parents Television Council and several other pro-family groups have reached out to the streaming service, urging the cancellation of their program. Netflix has not even responded to our letter. Instead, they released an even more vile Season 2 and are producing Season 3. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings says their program is engaging and that it fosters discussion of taboo topics like suicide and sexual assault. But at what cost? 14-year-old Anna Bright and several other teens have committed suicide after watching the show. Hastings calls our objections propaganda. Does he feel the profitability of his company is worth more than the lives damaged or lost because of his show? Please sign our petition to Netflix, learn more, and share our action alert when you visit afa.net. And pray Reed Hastings will recognize the dangers of 13 Reasons Why. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Uh, John Roberts, go ahead, John. No, no. John Roberts, go ahead. CNN's fake news. I don't well, take sir, questions. I don't take questions from CNN. CNN is fake news. I don't take questions from CNN. John Roberts of Fox. Let's go to a real. Let's go to a real network. John, let's go. Well, we're a real network too, sir. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. So that uh, feisty interchange was in England as the president was uh, doing a a bit of a joint presser with uh, Prime Minister Theresa May. And uh, he only had four. So they always lay out how many questions they're going to take beforehand, unless it's kind of an impromptu, the president steps up to the podium. But on on a joint presser with another foreign dignitary, they're going to know how many 
reporters are going to get called on. Everyone's going to get a chance to raise their hand, but they'll delineate beforehand because they know how long they want to stand there. And so they'd already said beforehand there will be four reporters who will be called on. So the president already had in mind who was going to call on. Jim Acosta's in the seats. He decides, can I ask a question? Well, sure, you can ask one, but you're not getting called on. Now, I personally wouldn't have said, I don't talk to CNN, you're fake news, because he took a question from a CNN reporter uh, when he was at NATO. A reporter from CNN asked President Donald Trump a question, and he answered it. So I just want to, you know, let, let's, if you're following the timeline, and, and I know President Trump could be slightly punchy from all of the travel. He was in four parts of England just today. Um, and I have to correct, I said that he would be at Trump Doral. I know there is a Trump Doral. I'm not sure where it is because he's actually going to Trump Turnbury in Turnbury, Scotland, United Kingdom. So that's where he will end up tonight at 8.35 p.m. slash 3.35 p.m. local. So he's that that's where he'll end up today. Um, but, the, you know, obviously that kind of caused a furor online because when President Obama was in office, he actually treated Fox News this way. Uh, that's where Donald Trump's getting this from is because President Obama was regularly rude and nasty to Fox News when their reporters would ask him questions and they would show up in the briefing room because they had a seat in the briefing room as they have for I don't know how long. And so when that would happen, CNN would actually say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I am going to give my question to my colleague from Fox News. And they were very uh, kind of coll coll collegiate or collegial. They would they would basically stick up for Fox News reporters um, in the face of kind of rude treatment from President Obama and Obama administration officials. And so what they expected was for John Roberts to say, I'm Mr. President, I'm going to give my question to CNN or CNN is a real news organization, but here's my question. And John Roberts just said, thank you, Mr. President, and asked his question. So he got taken to task on Twitter about doing that. And people were really rude to him about it. Um, you know, it was his choice whether or not to do that. I think the problem is he he might have done that. He might have said, oh, Mr. President, I want to give my question to my colleague at CNN. But it was Jim Acosta who regularly makes himself a total nuisance to Sarah Huckabee Sanders and to President Trump. I almost feel like at this point, you know how it is when someone has worn their welcome out, even if it's a work situation, because the, the president's not required to choose any one news organization to answer questions. He doesn't have to choose the same people every time. Everyone doesn't have to have an opportunity. It seems to me that CNN would send someone else because Jim Acosta has worn his welcome out. He's, he's, he's been so unprofessional that he's actually hindering CNN's ability to get in a question. I, maybe they will, but they don't seem like they're interested in doing that right now. So I just checked here. Um, I was just double checking to make sure that I knew what the name of the the actual building that the the actual facility that the president's going to be at tonight, and that was from um, today's daily guidance and press schedule for Friday, July thirteenth, twenty eighteen, um, and they've got all of the media coverage set up, and he's been like I said all over, um, and at this point they're probably they've they've already probably left Glasgow Prestwick Airport. Uh, in Glasgow, Scotland, on their way to Trump Turnbury and Turnbury, Scotland. So that's kind of an update on where the president is at this moment and what he's doing. Um, and so we are going to have um, President Trump meeting with 
President Putin. They're meeting in a third country, um, and they're not meeting in in Russia. They're going to meet at a, at a third location, so not America, not Russia, um, and that's I believe the next stop for the president. So I mentioned a little, just a tease last segment about this story about Scarlett Johansson. So if you're like me and you know people by these these Hollywood actors by their last movie name, Scarlett Johansson is often known for her role in the Avengers series where she plays the Black Widow. So um, that's the actress that I'm speaking of. She was announced to be one of the stars of this upcoming film called Rub and Tug, which is a drama that takes you into the world of Dante Tex Gill, who is a man who's transgendered and living as a woman. Now, we could go into a whole hour-long segment into why this is so ridiculous and why this is happening right now. I'll just I'll give you the Cliff Snows version. A few years ago, before I was ever on um, American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, I mentioned, I kind of forecast, not just on Facebook, but on radio, numerous occasions, I said, what happens with this whole LGBTQIA, you know, triple X, whatever movement is that it starts off with, we just want to be free to love whoever we want to love. We don't want to have to be closeted. We want to be in public like everybody else. So people who think that's all they want, people who are easily snookered are like, sure. And they're like, yeah, loving in public isn't enough for us. We don't want to just be able to live together. We want to be like married couples too. We, are, we have every right to be married too. And we want to adopt kids too. We can't make kids on our own and that's not our fault. So two men or two women should be allowed to adopt kids. Now, religious organizations said, well, you can adopt all the kids you want from the state, but you can't come through our religious organizations because we believe marriage is between one man and one woman. And that's the law of the land. And they were like, okay, fine. We want to change the law of the land because we want to be able to adopt kids. Now, remember, they first told you, if you keep in track, that they just wanted to be able to love whoever they wanted to love because you can't control who you love. So as soon as they started making those moves, We start talking about gender reclassification, the role of men and women, whether or not you could call someone your husband or your wife, because two gay men, they can't have a wife. They only got two husbands. So they said it's not enough to say spouse because spouse still has that traditional meaning. We want you to say partner. Now, remember, most people, when you say your partner, you're talking about your business partner. But now millions of Americans refer to their husband or their wife as their partner in acquiescence to the gay agenda. But that wasn't all. We don't want you calling parents parents because that doesn't that doesn't acknowledge gays. You can't say dear moms and dads. That doesn't acknowledge that there might be two men or two women sitting in the audience who are parents, too. So we need that redefined. We need that change too. caregivers. Everybody is a caregiver because you don't know how they came by those kids. If they didn't have them through their natural processes like traditional couples do sometimes because not all traditional couples are fertile, then how dare you say parents? You don't know how these people came to be there. You say caregivers. So as American institutions from public education to hospitals to any organization that that employs people begin to change and modify their behaviors, the way they talk, the labels that they put on things, the way they hire people, the benefits they offer to people. We don't just want to love who we love. We want rights to see them in the hospital when they get in a car accident. I want to be able to have my same sex partner on my health insurance through my job. You, You married people can do that. I want to be able to do it too. 
every change we made to say, yes, you're, uh, that sounds reasonable. Okay. No, I don't like that, but I'll do it. I just, I'm not, I'm not homophobic. I'm not a bigot. Every single step would, they need something more. I said early on, as did many other people who are, you know, have written books and are famous and, and definitely have credentials. Everybody was saying at the same time, it will not stop with same sex marriage. They have to keep going because once they've normalized that, they're going to have to normalize the transgenders. The transgenders aren't very numerous. They're a teensy-weensy segment of American population. They're going to have to be moved out of the, this is an illness, into this is normal behavior. You have the problem, not them. If you normalize homosexuality, you have to normalize transgenders. What comes after the transgenders? You have to normalize relationships that are what they call unconventional or inconvenient but are actually against the law. Male-child relationships between men of age and underage boys and girls. Multiple relationships in one marriage, meaning more than one woman with one man, more than one man with one woman, a group of people being able to get married. They're already moving for this. The polygamists up in Utah were like, finally, we get our day. We can have our polygamy and, and, and you know, come out of the shadows. Everything that was once a mental illness or something that wasn't normal has to be now normalized because we opened the, the door. It's not just open. They blew the door off the hinges, removed it, and made it into just a big opening. You know how you can have a door between two rooms and then someone will say, let's make this open concept. And then you blow the door out, you remove all the framing and you reframe it back out and it's just a big opening. You just walk through, no, no door. That's what we've done. So how can you be surprised that Scarlett Johansson, who is an openly leftist chick, she is openly on the left. She believes in, uh, she's, she's a proponent of homosexual marriage. She's a gun control nut. Anything you can think of that the leftists believe in, she's right there with them, pounding the drum and doing whatever she needs to do to be a part of the crew. Now, remember in Hollywood, actors often play roles that are nothing like themselves. Men have done roles where the entire role was a woman. Think of the Wayans brothers and all the movies they've been in. They had a movie called White Chicks where they weren't just men acting as women. They were black men acting as white women for the whole movie. They were made up. I mean, it was just like the, the most ridiculous thing. And it was a successful, popular movie. Over and over and over again, Hollywood gives people Oscars for acting in roles that are completely the opposite of who they are physically, because in their minds, that kind of acting requires so much more talent than just someone who is a woman playing herself in a role that, you know, may or may not be that groundbreaking. This is the Hollywood mantra. I mean, you know, think of it, whatever you may, this is the way they've always been. So for them, Scarlett Johansson has the name ID and credibility to be able to pull off this role. But that's not what this is about. In Hollywood and with the LGBT agenda, if you're going to make a movie about one of their pet projects, one of their movements, their idealistic uh, goal points that they're trying to hit, then you need to do it their way. This isn't about Scarlett Johansson so much as it is about her being a heterosexual woman and they feel this role about a transgendered man should be played by a transgendered man. Now, remember, it's misogynistic to say a woman can't do something unless you're a liberal and she's being trumped by another demographic. And I want to do this on the show and I'm, I'm, I got to work on it. But 
Wheel of Demographics. You listeners would call in and you have to tell me what your demographic is. And then I spin a wheel with demographics all the way around. So it's man, woman, white man, white woman, black woman, black man, transgender, homosexual, uh, Muslim, obviously, uh, as, as, or someone who practices Islam, Jewish, Christian. Um, and then you spin the wheel and you see which of the, if your gender or your demographic, not your gender, but your demographic trumps the demographic on the wheel. There's actually a methodology. So Scarlett Johansson definitely has a woman card that she can play that can trump a white man. But when it comes to transgenders, transgender trumps white woman every time. They want a transgender to play that role. And they have now pushed her out of this role that, that they chose her for because since she's already famous and has name ID, they thought that she could get the people to buy the tickets to come see the movie. Because if they make a movie about a transgendered man and tell his story and it's a flop, then that, they feel, is indicative of Americans not accepting what they're trying to push down our, our little gullets about accepting transgenderism. So there's, there's a method to all of this. So here's, here's what the Variety magazine is reporting. She has just announced that she is actually exiting the movie after standing up for herself and saying, I don't know what you guys' problem is. I'm acting in this role because I'm the actress that won the part. I'm going to do justice to this story about this transgendered man. And online, they were like, no, you're not. You can't do justice to it because you're a white cisgendered woman. In other words, you like men. In light of recent ethical questions raised surrounding my casting as Dante Tex Gill, I have decided to respectfully withdraw my participation in the project. Our cultural understanding of transgender people continues to advance, and I've learned a lot from the community since making my first statement about my casting and realized it was insensitive. I have great admiration and love for the trans community, and I'm grateful that the conversation regarding inclusivity in Hollywood continues. According to GLAAD, LGBTQ plus characters dropped 40% in 2017 from the previous year with no representation of trans characters in any major studio release. She goes on a little bit, but suffice it to say, the mob has cowed her into submission because it's not really about inclusivity. It's about everyone doing what they're told to do. Garbage. We'll be back with our two right after this. Stay here.